Here we are live on It's My Friday. I am Scott Stanfield. I am the modern longevitarian. And um, you probably wonder what It's My Friday stands for, but you probably don't because you probably work in the restaurant industry, food service, hospitality somehow, and probably hear every day that you work that somebody says, It's My Friday. And it's pretty cool because, you know, Fridays are a different day. Friday has more balance than any other day of the week. Um, we have this, we're going to get some work done and we're also going to have fun tonight. We're going to stay up a little bit later. We're going to, I don't know, we're going to, we're going to really have a cool day. So I, I really, um, really love Fridays because it's just a mindset shift. And here's a question. What if every day was a Friday, every single day? What if every day was a Friday? How cool would that be? Now, um, today's guest is going to be absolutely amazing. We've uh, we've actually recorded two podcasts. One's live in the world, uh, and uh, we've we've done uh, Zoom uh, networking meetings together. We talked and texted and done all these crazy things and corresponded on LinkedIn. And um, you know, so today is um, we're not going to review all of those things that we've done and put in the world already, but we are going to um, you know dig into some other stuff. And so I. Um, I want to read this quote here, Anthony Bourdain quote uh, from Kitchen Confidential, and then we'll get uh, get Katie, executive chef Katie Horn on. So here we go. So who the hell exactly are these guys, these boys and girls in the trenches? You might get the impression that from the specifics of my less than stellar career, that all the line cooks are whacked out moral degenerates, dope fiends, refugees, a thuggish assortment of drunks, sneak thieves, sluts, and psychopaths. You wouldn't be too far off base. The business as respected three-star chef, Scott Bryan explains it, attracts fringe elements, people from whom something in their lives has gone terribly wrong. Maybe they didn't make it through high school. Maybe they're running away from something, be it an ex-wife, a rotten family history, trouble with the law, a squalid third world backwater with no opportunity for advancement. Or maybe, like me, they just like it here. So I... You know, restaurants have been a big part of my life for almost 30 years, and uh, I really love it. Love the people. Um, lo love the fact that uh, you can start as a dishwasher like I did and work your way up to be a director of food and beverage at a, at a four-star hotel uh, just years later. Um, but, no, that's, uh, that's, that's what it is. So, um, And you know what? The most important thing for your health is sleep. So I'm just going to make this short. This is my uh, shameless plug. So modernlongevitarian.com forward slash sleep. And you can download, just for the price of your email, temporarily, a uh, book on how to have an outstanding landing and get the sleep of your dream. So with uh, well, any further ado, we're going to uh, bring Katie on here, and uh, then we're going to uh, get started. So there we go. Katie. Hello, hello. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah, well, it's it's, uh, it's the first time on the live show, right? Mm -hmm. um, we've recorded two podcasts, one for the Restaurant GM podcast, one for Modern Longevitarian. I've only put the Modern Longevitarian in the world. And if people want to go back and listen to that, we're really talking about plant-based, vegan eating, things like that. You being from Wisconsin, that type of stuff, um, and the struggles of stop eating cheese, right? Yeah. Struggles yeah. real. <laughs> Struggle drill. Struggle drill. Right. Um, and that's episode Ocho, episode eight of the Modern Longevitarian podcast. If anybody wants to go look that up wherever you listen to podcast, right? Um, and, and do that. 
But um, so tell me what's up, what's going on with you? Oh man, just surviving this COVID stuff. Um, so, you know, it's, it's so crazy. You know, I live in Texas, um, you know, you live in Utah and it's, it's crazy when we talk just the, the polarity of, of where we live and what's it like to be around here. And in Texas, we just went up to 75% in restaurants. Um, and some of them aren't even going that high. Um, some of them are staying at the 50% and, uh, kids going back to school, you know, the election coming up, things are, things are crazy, man. It's a crazy world we live in right now. It really is. Hey, I'm just, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I'm drinking out of my Starbucks, Texas cup in your honor today. Go. I yep. appreciate that. Yeah. And I told my son this morning, um, I said, Hey, I'm interviewing a chef from, and, uh, from Texas this morning on the show. He's like, Oh, that's really cool. And he's like, and I'm like, she's a vegan. He goes, that's gotta be against the law. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Once, once you leave the city, it's, it's far and few between. <laughs> I mean, I've been to, you know, Texas barbecue pits in, uh, in, uh, around Dallas. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's a car. I mean, if you're on the carnivore diet, there's not a better place to live. I don't think. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, it is. It's pretty wild. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's really cool. So let's do this. Let's give you an abbreviated version of your background. I mean, your CIA, Right. And, uh, you know, graduate chef. And so that rehash the whole thing, but just abbreviated one for people watching now. And then um, I've got some ideas for the show. Right. So we're, we're, we're going to go for there. Oh, I'm excited. It's always it's always an interesting conversation with you and I. So, yeah. Um, yeah so I graduated CIA. Um, I've been an executive chef for about 10 years. I've been a culinary director. Um, I have been an interim GM when needed to be, but um, I always say I like to stay on the tile floor. So that's that's where my, my home is. Um, I am a vegan. I've been vegan for just over three years now. Um, and it's it's not like every day I eat salad. I think that's, that's a big misconception. You know, uh, when I'm dining out and there's cheese in something, like I'm okay with it. You know, I, I try to balance the chef in me with like, the diet and me at the same time. Um, it's funny as a chef, you know, I used to hate when vegans came in because you had special stuff, you had 86 things. I'm like, why would anyone go vegan? And the line I always say is I know too much. And I know, you know, I'm famous for that now, but um, yeah, so that's kind of my background. You know, I love, I love all things food and hospitality. And I think that, you know, I've really found my place in um, the hospitality industry, particularly in restaurants, just really, changing the culture and turning it around. Um, you know, when you were talking about the quote with Anthony Bourdain, you know, a lot of those people need help. A lot of those people need counseling and therapy and a good role model and, you know, someone to kind of keep them in a positive direction. And it's hard to do that when, you know, you're working for someone that came up from the bottom, you know, really started as a dishwasher and, and has worked their way up to executive chef or sous chef or owner or GM or whatever it would be. Um, you know, just really trying to be that positive influence and change the, the culture of the industry one step at a time. Yeah. When I first came up with the idea for the GM coach, I said, um, my whole goal is to save the restaurant industry from itself. Right. <laughs> um, Satan's got his hand on the throat of the restaurant industry, maybe his boot, right. Just got his boot, you know, and you're down. Right. And it's just like holding and, you know, because if you can get caught up in this, like, you know, where are we going drinking tonight or, you know, who's sleeping with who or, um, you know, all the sex, drugs, rock and roll, 
you know, I've had, you know, like underage hostesses, you know, have, you know, clients buy or uh, guests buy her shot at the bar hitting on her. Right. I've had, you know, moms show up because her uh, daughter is a host bought uh, some dr a drug in the coat closet, you know, and, 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 you know, from another host. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. just you've had all those things going on. And so, you know, and, and, you know, I, of course, you know, I've done, you know, in the beginning did my fair share of stuff, but when I started taking it seriously, it was just like, you know, it's like, um, okay, you know, how can you be professional? How can you do this? And, and, um, and it's real, really a cool thing. And so, um, yeah, it's so great, man. This is going to be so awesome. All right. So the first thing is, I don't know if you remember a couple months ago, but I, um, I started doing this thing, ask the GM coach a question, right? And I sent you this question from um, uh, a lady that's, that sent this in and I'm going to read her question and then your answer you sent me because I was going to do a video and do this series of ask the GM coach. And, um, and, and so I'm going to do that. We can talk about that for a minute and, uh, and then we can move on to other ideas. We can go, go from there. Um, the question was, how, a, how can a strong personality female compete in a male-dominant industry? I'm currently an AGM with a company that does not have a lot of female GMs, uh, three out of 46, right? How, um, how do I build myself up when they do not? Now, I loved your answer, and I'm, I'm going to read it for you, and then we can expand on that, right? Because I'm going to yeah. give it word for word. And uh, the first thing I would do is express your intent, if you want to be a GM, let it be known. If your eventual goal is to be a director of ops, let it be known. Sit down with your GM and or their boss and ask for a, develop, for a development plan. Have them give you clear steps and explain the path to get where you want to be. There is no shame in wanting something more. Even if you're a woman, if they tell you that you don't have what it takes, leave. Look for a new job because that type of thinking on their part can hinder your progress. You want to be in a company that not only allows for growth, but encourages and nurtures it as well. The only thing that will get a woman in managerial roles is time and perseverance. End quote. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add or subtract or say about that? You know what? I definitely agree with my own advice. Um, you know, one thing I remember answering that question, and I talked to my husband about um, my response, and and you know, I was like, you know, I really, really like this one, and he kind of countered back at me with, uh, "Why would she leave that job?" And what I explained to him was, you know, this woman is talented. She clearly has goals. She clearly wants to move up in the world, and you can beat down the door of a company for a very long time before the door will open. And in some cases, that's going to be okay. But if you have to constantly prove your worth, constantly prove your knowledge, and constantly um, live up to what someone else feels your your ideal is, you're not going to be in a healthy job, and you're not going to have a healthy relationship with that job. So take your talent where it's wanted and where it's needed. There's, you know the restaurant industry as a whole is very transient. It's much more transient than it was before. You know, when you and I were starting out of the industry, Scott, it, it wasn't uncommon to have servers and, and wait staff that were in their forties and fifties about to retire, you know, sometimes even in their sixties and then they would be fine dining servers for their career. It was a career job. And now it's, 
kind of shifted away from that. And there's still, we call them lifers. There's still servers for life in there, but it's moved away from that. And it's much younger. It's much less experienced and it's much less, you know, willing to stay the course. So switching jobs in restaurants, you know, when, when I'm looking at, at applicants, you know, do, are they someone that's leaving after eight months? Are they someone that has maxed out their potential and they're leaving in three to five years? That three to five year mark shows me that they are fast moving. They like to move up their ranks and I kind of see their progression through, you know, did they start as a line cook and ended up as a sous chef and maybe there just wasn't a position open. Um, but really just finding a right place for you has no shame in the restaurant industry. There are a million restaurants there are a million jobs out there. I know there's more, but um, so finding what works for you is fine. You know, the old, the old adage that, you know, you stay in the same job for 20, 30 years is no longer the best advice, um, at least in our, in, our, in our profession, in our careers, because, you know, if you're working in, we'll just say an Italian restaurant for 20 years, you won't be exposed to the same growth and development as if you were to go to a French restaurant and then an Italian restaurant and then a steakhouse and then a, a quick service restaurant or something. So in order to get that experience and to build your portfolio, you almost have to, I hate to say the word job hop, but you have to go out and get different experiences. And when you're trying to move up in the world, there is no sense in waiting for a job that may not be offered to you because of your because of your sex or your creed or whatever it would be. Um, you know, just as being a woman, if I don't, if my job no longer serves me, I can no longer serve my job. And I think it's important to note that there are so many great companies out there that are actively seeking, you know, women and minorities to fill managerial roles and fill any roles that they have available because of the diversity, you know, everyone wants to, to have a diverse cast and, and things like that. But as far as staying in a job to get that promotion, to wait for it and wait for it, you know, when you've been waiting too long, like you just know, right. and that doesn't mean you don't get something and you just bounce out, but dive into why you didn't get it. You know, was this an equal partnership or was this, they just don't believe in you. You know, never be afraid to, especially women in the industry, never be afraid to go find something better. Right. You know, first of all, uh, I want to say it's a great question, right, right to, to ask, right? That, and your answer is spot on for male or female, right? Yeah. You want your intentions to be known, right? You definitely want to, and if you're looking to grow, to do that. And, you know, I both my dad worked at the, his last job before he retired 32 years. My mom worked at a job for 28 years and took early retirement. Um, I haven't held a job other than my first one um, more than six years. And the first, I think the first two years of that were an hour and a half a day, right? I'd get out of high school and I'd be there by three 30 and I'd work till five and it was over. Right. My, and I was yeah. making minimum wage, $3 and a nickel an hour. This is in the you know late eighties. Um, I graduated in 1990. Right. And, uh, and so I was, my paycheck was 20 bucks. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's just like, um, and so, and I'd go Friday night and I'd drop it all in the pole position in the arcade. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was, cause I raced go-karts. Right. And we would go ride pole position and, uh, and, and, and do that. But back to what you're talking about. So 
my, well, I, my point is this, right? Is um, every restaurant job I've had has been, um, except one, um, and well, two, counting the furlough in March, right? Um, so, but my, you know, ones that I've had control over has been three to four and a half years, right? And, um, and, and I've purposely, you know, like I won't leave a place if I, ha if I have a choice, right? Um, in less than three years, right? Um, yeah. And not having a choice means the culture is really bad, right? And I took a job and the culture, it did not, the culture did not work. I get, it was a pay raise. The next job I took was a pay cut to get out of that culture. So um, I knew there was no, there was nothing in there for me. It was just a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing I could do to fix it. There was nothing I could do other than take care of the team under me. Now let's mm -hmm. talk about, um, you know, cause I would imagine, and I think actually the stat is 70% of restaurant managers are, are men. Right. Um, and, and I probably see even more in chef, right? In yep. 2017, there was a study done about women chefs in the United States. 7% mm -hmm. of women, of chefs in the United States were women in 2017. I was one of 7%. Well, and that this is the interesting thing to say women's place is in the kitchen, but yet 93% of the chefs are men, right? So I don't even, I don't even get that. It doesn't even make any sense, right? At, well, at all, a, women, right? a woman's place in the kitchen is a woman's place being a homemaker. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, let me let me say this. Um, and this is coming from someone who's basically been a GM almost his entire career, right? And and that's yeah. just for me. Um, and through my study on leadership, I firmly believe that <clears throat> women ha are have better ability to be an amazing leader than a man does, right? Yeah, <laughs> and this is from someone who's been a GM. It's a struggle for me. Like I didn't connect with my team when they had problems with their family until I had kids, right? Yeah. And I and I understood it. I needed experience in my life to do that. But a woman naturally, you know, has that empathy and that sympathy and that understanding and that hey, this is my family and I'm going to build this and they want connection. Men don't want connection so much. They want solitude and hey, we're gonna climb this mountain, right? And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put our flag in the ground and then tomorrow we're gonna climb another mountain, and put a flag in the ground, right? And we're gonna continue this march. And if you're not uh, you know, uh, if you're not on board, get off the bus, right? Just get, you know, it's like I'll find somebody else. You know, I'm gonna beat you down just to build you back up and all that old stuff, right, that's happening. Women don't think that way, right? Now here's the here's the trap that a, a female can 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 can, in, in a, can step into and get caught in is that in an effort to fit into this man's world, they can become classified as a bitch, right? And I'm not saying, you know, that in a, in a negative way, but they feel like they have to be super harder on their team and the people around them than the other men they're around to get credibility. And that's not true right you're shaking your head so go ahead i think i might hit something here <laughs> so how many times i've been called a bitch in the industry i don't even know i mean i i lost count at like 18 um age 18 not 18 times so right. we touched on a couple things one i think that because the culture of the staff has changed in the industry it is much we need much more of that woman leadership we need the nurturing we need the the building people up thing, you know, a hundred years ago when you had a scoffier, I mean, it was, you know, do or be killed. Like you just, you led blindly, you followed blindly. It didn't matter. It was authoritarian type of leadership. And now you can't get away with that because we have 
HR departments and OSHA and laws to protect people. So and I think too, that, right? Yeah, and, and me too. too. Yep. Right. Um, and social media and and all these things. So you know, I remember in 2004, 2003, something like that. Um, the chef I worked for, like, injured me through sheet pan, hot, steaming hot sheet pans at me because I'd burned croissants. If I were to do that now, I would be arrested for assault. It's mm -hmm. a different, different level. And so just going through the old school chef system that we did, and, and today it's not as prevalent, but back then in, in the 80s, 90s, and early, early 2000s, it really was. You know, there's just such a, a shift in culture and shift in demographics for the staffing that you have to adapt to it. As far as being a bitch goes, um, it's it's like the the default insult, I guess. And there there's two different things. You know, if a man is yelling at me, I'm like, okay, he's yelling at me. But if a woman yells at me, it's like she's just being mean because women, even, you know, you touched upon it. Women are nurturing. We're empathetic. So when we go into that zone of having to raise our voice or be stern or be strict, it's immediately met with backlash because of this culture that we, we have built for ourselves in the restaurant industry. And I think that it has not done women any favors that it continues to perpetuate at such a high level. Um, I am not a bitch. I'm a very nice person. I'm a pretty calm leader. It takes a lot for me to really raise my voice and get upset. Um, but at the same time, I definitely, yeah, I've been called a bitch many, 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 many times. And again, like I, I don't even remember how many times, but when you do that to someone and you call them that name, being called a bitch is the equivalent of the N word. It is equivalent to calling a homosexual the f word like it is so degrading to women and we're so used to it that most of the time we're like oh all right whatever next but right. it takes subconsciously it takes a toll on you and you are always as a woman i'm always cognizant of how i talk to people because right. i don't want to get that label right i've worked with some uh, side by side with amazing gms i've been trained by the female um um was trained by an amazing uh, uh, female GM at my prior job. She got promoted to regional, uh, to be my regional, uh, uh, you know, before I got furloughed. Um, and the VP of that company, VP of operations of that company was female, super strong ladies. And, um, you know, when needed, they had compassion and they had understanding and nurturing things. Um, but their expectations were, were high. Um, as it would be, I think, if there was a man in those positions, right? You know, yep. those type of things. Um, and so finding that balance is is super, super important. Have I been called bad names for being hard on people? Yes, right? Was I hard on people? Earlier in my career, I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to negotiate. I didn't know any of those things. So if you work for me early in my career, I'm sorry. I really am. I apologize from the bottom of my heart because, whoo, I was, I was expecting a lot. From people yeah. and i didn't know um because all i knew was the way i was raised right i, I asked you to do it and why haven't you done it yet all right and mm -hmm. and um but i've learned that to have uh, a different way of communication and do that and so as i progressed through my career as my emotional intelligence score went up as i learned about that as i learned how to communicate with people and learn negotiation skills and um and learn how to soften my my, my voice and and those type of things you know uh, it, it, it changed over time, right? And I think that, like I said, women have an advantage. 
and um, and just be you, right? And tap into the things that that allow you to be successful. And and you have different skills and different talents than uh, a male counterpart will. And um, and and just and go with that is re- is really really what it is. So um, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. All right. All right. Do you remember you've reached out to me? I believe is how this went to be on the restaurant GM podcast. Yeah. I believe. Do you remember what topic did you want to talk about? I'll give you a hint. I give you a hint. I'm a GM, right? By trade, you're an executive chef. You want to talk about the relationship between oh, a GM right. and executive chef, right? Yep. And the that importance was- of it being fluid and yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. That's so long ago. <laughs> 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 things I think of when I'm meditating, right? They come to me right. like, Oh, what am I going to talk to Katie about? Oh, she reached <laughs> out about this. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. so um, that's what I love about having this 10 AM for me is 10 AM show is that it forces me to get up. It's almost like having to be at the restaurant by 10 AM. Right. So I get up and I do breathing exercises, make a cup of coffee, do breathing exercises, um, meditate, take a cold shower, Right. I get to think about things I need to get done in a very quick time and then and I can move on to, you know, from there. Right. So this has been really cool. Here's the ideas that I had for. So so that's one of them. Um, and then something that's really popping up. I'm seeing this a lot on um, on LinkedIn here lately, which is um, the difference between company strategy and company culture and which one wins. Yes. Right. Oh, my gosh. That, oh, so many good yes. topics. And um and then another one came up because you're vegan and I'm am the modern longevitarian, right? Is how to be healthy and manage a restaurant at the same time, right? So those are the the things, right? Because I know that when you you just recently started really focusing on going through a body transformation and losing weight and doing those type of things, um, and and so, um, well, it's going to be guest choice. Those are three topics, and you get to pick, and we'll go from there. We'll just oh my you know, gosh. wax on, right? Let's do, let's start from the bottom. Let's go, uh, let's go how to have a healthy lifestyle in the restaurant industry because I have gone from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, me it. too. I've lost 40 pounds twice, right? <laughs> um, yeah, first time I didn't learn my lesson, right? So yeah. um, I've kept it off for the last eight and a half years. And, uh, and you have, been, you know, had very similar uh, experiences like how can you, balance being a chef and being a vegan, right? You're cooking chicken, you know, um, you know, things like that. And how can I be keto and yep. be a GM and help like evaluate dessert menus or taste as new desserts or the chefs may come up with things like that. So um, let's talk about how, um, you know, stuff. what do you think about how to live a healthy life managing a restaurant? So what I've learned is that being healthy is 90% mental, 10% physical. Um, you know, you can work out two hours a day burning a thousand calories, but if you eat your way through your night, you're never going to get healthy. Um, people gain weight in restaurants for a number of reasons. Uh, let's talk about stress. It is extremely stressful in the restaurant industry. I feel like there are, there are a couple industries I think everyone needs to have a job in for six months before they're allowed to graduate to life. Retail, um, healthcare, Uh, customer service, hospitality, like there's a bunch of them, right? So with being healthy, one, you have to have a good mental fortitude. Um, So, you know, it's 8.30 on a Saturday, you know, your restaurant had what, 300 seats, 350 seats, something like that. 
Um, you know, I've, I've had restaurants that go up to 500 seats, I think. I think the smallest one I ever did was 80 seats. So when you're pumping out that much food at that quick of a pace and having to, you know, either cook food or, or work expo, work the pass, which is where you're kind of organizing all the plates, making sure they're going out to the right table. Um, that's my favorite position to be in because I literally equate it to solving a puzzle every 10 seconds. You, you look at the ticket, this person's getting this, 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 you look down at the food, organize it and go. And you just get your rhythm. And then all of a sudden a plate comes back because a, a medium steak was cooked so well done or it was cooked mid rare or whatever it would be. And you have to pivot and be able to solve the problem without losing your momentum. And what, what chemical in your body raises as stress raises? cortisol. This is science. This isn't fake news. This is science. And when you look at chefs, the high metabolism chefs um, have that very gaunt, sunken eyes, very skinny. The the lower metabolism chefs have belly fat. Um, And that's because of the level of cortisol in our bodies, you know, so to fight that off, you have to fight off stress. And when you're surrounded it's, it's like pig pen from, from peanuts, just surrounded by stress everywhere you go, everywhere you go. Um, it's hard to step away from that and be able to handle that. So I encourage, I thoroughly encourage my team members to get into counseling, meditate, do yoga, do something else other than the restaurant industry. Because when you have a bad day, what do you want to do when you get home? Have a beer, have a glass of wine, have a scotch, just relax. And when you're in the restaurant industry and you're surrounded by people in similar situations, what do you always want to do after work? Go next door and have a beer, right? Right. And then you have that one beer and you're like, okay, now I'm relaxed. I'm going to enjoy my next one. And then you have two beers and then you have three beers. And that's really the addiction cycle of the restaurant industry. You're self-soothing, you're self-medicating a horrible, horrible level of stress. And I don't know any restaurant that I've ever worked in, regardless of company culture, that is not extremely stressful. It is just a high stress environment. And I think that, you know, as the cycle perpetuates, your health decreases because you're there. It's not like chefs, chefs don't work 40 hours a week, guys. Chefs work like 60, 70, sometimes 80. When you're opening a restaurant, geez, we were clocking like 90 to 100 hours a week. Yeah. 6, 6 a.m. to midnight, not even the blink of an eye, just, just gone. Yeah. Um, so it, it screws with your, your chemical com- composition in your body and having to fight that is, ex- it's an uphill battle. You know, it's, it's, it's going uphill in barefoot on grease. You just, you can't ever reach the top of it. So I think that staying healthy in the industry, the first part of it is you've got to get your mind right. You know, making sure you eat breakfast before you get into your shift or lunch or whatever it would be, making sure that you're, you know, making healthy choices. I don't know anybody in the industry that doesn't have bread service that doesn't just nosh on bread service all night because you exactly, you can't eat between the hours of we'll say 5 PM and 10 PM and who eats dinner at four o'clock if you're under the age of 70, you know? So by the time I get home at 10 o'clock, I'm ravenous. You know, the last time I ate was after lunch service at two, you know? And so the, by design, we're feeding you guys. There's nobody feeding us. So, that also plays a part in it, just the late night binge eating. And when you get to be, you know, 30-ish, 30, 35-ish, your metabolism changes. When you hit 40, your metabolism goes down even more. And so the people that you see that are older in the restaurant industry are just really fighting a losing battle with it. So I think one of the things that we can do in the restaurant industry is just really fix that culture. 
Just amazing. All right. So I'm going to tag on a couple of things you said here, right? Let's roll, Scott. Right. Let's, Let's roll. roll. I took notes, right? I took notes so I could I could do this. All right. <laughs> First of all, um, of my uh, uh, of the eight pillars of being a modern longevitarian, right? And all this came out of me trying to live the healthiest life, inspired by my parents getting cancer, me being overweight twice, right? So that's where these things came from. Number one is mindset. It all starts with my mindset is everything. Bruce Lee said, the body will follow the mind. Yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, the body will follow the mind. Okay, well, what's the mind? Okay, this. Anyway, you said this. The first thing is you said cortisol. Uh, Dr. Jason Fung wrote in the book Obesity Code about the correlation between cortisol and insulin. Now, what people may not know, and this is just a science, straight up science, okay? Your insulin spikes for about four different reasons. One is high glycemic foods. You just talk about bread service, pasta, all right? Any of those sugar drinks, sodas, any of those type of things are going to spike your insulin. Um, stress spikes your insulin. Lack of sleep spikes your insulin, all right? Those things. It takes 13 hours, 13 hours for that insulin spike to go back down to the point to where the signal switches. Now, what's the signal when insulin spikes? Insulin says store fat, all right? No matter what you do, okay? 13 hours later is when you're going to get the signal that said it's okay to burn fat, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're if, if you're doing this, right? If you are, um, think about this cycle that you just really laid out. I'm going to lay this out, right? You're stressed out during service. So let's say this. Because you're tired, you had a cup of coffee just before dinner service. Okay. Don't me to whiteboard this, Scott. I can, yes, I can whiteboard could. this. We can let's whiteboard do it. it right? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Do right. It. So, you, so you have this, right? You have this happening, right? You're going to have caffeine, right? Caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours. All right. So let's say you have that shot of espresso, right? So you have that at six o'clock, right? Before service, right? And you're going to try to go to bed at midnight, six hours later, right? or five, you know, that's seven hours later, that's still going through your system, right? You're not going to get a good night's sleep, right? Nope. You've also spiked your, your cortisol and your insulin, right? By mm -hmm. stress and you've had, um, uh, you've had uh, bread service or some sort of food or any of those type of things, right? You've also, if you've had beer, you spiked your insulin because you've got, you know, carbs, right? Yeah. Also alcohol, just one drink inhibits one drink inhibits is a finished study they did um, on 4,098 men and women. One drink inhibits sleep. Moderate drinking inhibits sleep by 24% and heavy drinking inhibits sleep by over 34%, right? Yes. So you drink too much and too late, you're not sleeping good, right? Those things are happening, right? Your body's not burning fat. You're storing fat. No matter how much you move, no matter what, all those things are happening. Just from this alone, this is happening. So you wake up the next morning, you've eaten too late, you've had too much caffeine, you've had some alcohol, right? Uh, you are dehydrated, right? Yeah. You're dehydrated because all that pulls away from your your net hydration, right? Then on top of that, you have coffee in the morning, right? Or some sort yep. of caffeine, a Red Bull caffeine yep. or whatever, right? More caffeine. More caffeine. Now you're more dehydrated. And now because of lack of sleep, your body's craving salty, sugary, fatty foods, right? Your ghrelin hormone is turned on, which is the eat hormone, right? And your um, uh, leptin, which is the appetite suppressant hormone is turned off, right? So you're dehydrated, you're caffeinated, you're uh, 
your digestive system is is ignited from the caffeine, your hunger hormones turned on, your um, your 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 other uh, leptin is turned off, right? And yeah. all these things are happening, and you're trying to like get started on the next shift the next day, right? So you got all that stuff going on, and it's basically this. And insulin is still not gone down from when you spiked it last, which is right before you went to bed because you had something mm -hmm. to eat, right? So you're you're sleep deprived, you're, um, and you probably checked your social media, right? Since you got off work, right? And you and your blue lights, which suppresses melatonin production, which doesn't get deep asleep. So all these things are happening, right? And then you try to do it all again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, right? It's pretty. Pretty, pretty wild. What else did I write? Take notes on dehydrated, losing sleep, caffeine. Food. Well, hold on. I want to. I want to touch on what you just said because I think okay. it's really important. I, I call it the chemical care cycle, and what that means is you are no longer caring for your body naturally. You're caring for it via chemicals, and what I mean by that is, like you said, that six p.m. espresso shot. I've done it. You've done it. That's chemically caring for something that you need. What does your body really want? It wants to sleep. It needs to decompress, but you can't because you got to do your job. So what you end up doing is you chemically care for that problem. You know, then you spike your blood sugar. You know, you're hungry at the end of the day and you're hungry because you just worked and didn't eat at the right time. So you have to chemically care for that and you have to eat and you're stressed out. So rather than yoga or meditation or any other reading or, or taking a walk, what do you do? You have a beer and then you have another one and then you want to go to bed because you're exhausted. You're, you're mentally exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted and you're physically exhausted. Then you go to bed, but you can't get a good night's sleep. Cause like you just said, all of your insulin is spiked. Then you wake up the next morning, groggy, dehydrated, all that stuff. What do you do? Pound some coffee. Maybe you pound a Pedialyte if you're hungover, which is terrible for you. And then you go and you could do it all over again. Right. You yeah. never once took care of your body. Right. And it you know, God forbid you take an Advil or something like that to make the headache go away and all those mm -hmm. things, right? You start putting other chemicals. By the way, I want to pause one second. My friend, longtime friend, Tim Glowacki, I just got your message. He's watching now. So uh, so uh, thanks for watching and hope to have you as a guest here soon, right? Uh, I've known Tim. He's back in South Carolina for, uh, I just got chills. I've known uh, Tim for over 20 years, right? So a uh, super cool guy. And, um, and uh, so anyway, but here's the thing, right? Here's now we've talked about all the things that are going wrong, right? All the things we're doing wrong. Let's talk about how you've managed that, and I'll talk about how I fixed that, right? And um, and by the way, this is compounded with a clopin, right? Mm -hmm. The minute that you do a close open, this is like even makes it exponentially worse because you got even less sleep, right, and less time for yourself, right? And so. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's, uh, let's you talk about the solutions you did and I'll talk about my solutions and we'll kind of like wrap on that for a minute. First one was, um, taking out the drinking. That was, that was a big, big thing. You know, in my twenties, I remember I worked for a chef and I'm not going to say who it was, but it was part of the restaurant culture and the company culture to drink during the day. Mm. And I, um, I took, I took notice one day. I was just, I, I didn't realize I was constantly hung over because it just becomes your normal. Right. So one day I, I counted the number of shots. It was 18 from 10, <laughs> 10 a.m. 
<laughs> 10 a.m. to like midnight, I think. Oh, gosh. And I didn't partake in all of the 18 shots, but literally it was, it was walk over, take a shot, go back to your job, job all day. And this mm. is 15, 20 years ago. So this is not anything going on right, right now. The, the insurance but, company got smart and said <laughs> managers can't drink while they're working, right? And yeah. That, no kind of like, like stopped it a little bit, right? Yeah, so. there was there's a famous chicken place in Texas. I don't even know if it's still around. It's called Max's Wine Dive, and you can buy the kitchen a bucket of beers. And I always hated that. So first step for me in my mid twenties was I lowered my drinking. Um, I still drink. I'm I'm a much bigger lightweight than I am now. But the one thing is it that it did is it is it really I got better sleep. I wasn't drinking my calories, and I wasn't as dehydrated. So with the sw- uh, swapping out of my liquids, I started drinking a lot more water. Um, I eliminated sodas, you know, anything that was just not beneficial to my body. I would say I drink, uh, the only thing I drink now is water, coffee, and ice, unsweetened iced tea in my pre-workout, but whatever on that. Um, you know, it's, that was like step one. And so I encourage anyone out there in the restaurant industry, like, please lower your drinking. It is the easiest thing and the hardest thing you will ever do, but it's so worth it. The next thing I did is I put myself as a priority. I no longer did clopins. I no longer, um, you know, I, I, I called it volunteer work. Anything after about 10 hours, I consider volunteer work. I choose to stay there to help out. And if I work a 12 or 13 hour day, the next day I'm going to make it a little bit shorter. So really having to hold yourself accountable in an industry that is known for lack of accountability is very difficult, but you have to be able to really put yourself first and you have to really be able to um, right those wrongs. And then the last thing was, was nutrition um, and, and fitness, of course, but I'll, I'll be the first to say it's incredibly difficult to work out and then be on your feet for 10, 11, 12 hours a day with the amount of stress that you have to handle in the restaurant industry. You know, your back hurts, you're wearing an apron, your neck is constantly being pulled down. You're hunched over all day chopping vegetables. You are um, moving, walking around the kitchen and moving and, and lifting heavy stuff. 50 pound bags of flour are a real thing. You know, when you're putting an order away, you might be putting away, I think one time I put away like 3000 pounds worth of product. Um, you know, so when you have that physical toll on your body, it's incredibly difficult to get in a proper workout. So you have to figure out other ways to get that fitness in. And for me, that was stretching and yoga that made a huge, huge difference. Well, there's, there's so many things in that. Let's just hit on this for a second, because um, the blue zones, which are the areas, five areas of the world that have the highest per capita population of people who are over 100 years old. OK, they don't have any, none of them um, have any. They don't, they don't exercise, right? They move, right? Mm-hmm. So if your job, like I've had to put away a, a truck that had 80 pound, you know, master cases of beef, right? Yep. Onto a shelf that is eye level, right? So why do I, now I can say that I work out for that, right? But that could be your workout is doing yeah. all of those things. So having time to actually do a workout is not needed when you're moving so much during the day. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, that when, when these statistics and these studies come out that say, you know, Americans are stagnant and, and people at work aren't moving enough, like that, they're talking not about us. Like that's, no. that's, that's not, well, us. They, they may be talking about me now that I'm sitting in front of this computer, like making graphics, like with, you know, chef Katie Horn at it, you know, or stuff like that, yeah. right. Making those things versus that. Now I, I will have to say for years, I struggled with, and I'm wearing this shirt, right. It says leg day. All right. 
and it's got a chicken leg on it, right? By the way, right? Um, by the way, I am like ninety percent plant based these days, but I love this shirt, right? I just love. I it. like this shirt. I'm vegan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 my point being is, if you do a really hard leg day with um, with squats and deadlifts and leg extensions and those type of things, right? And you're sore two days later, and you got a is on a Friday night. Or you did that workout on a Wednesday, and now it's all Friday or Saturday. You're like you can't move. That totally, wow, that totally is terrible, right? And and so I did, I did I, cross I, it for a year. I did cross it for a year, and that was me. I mean, yep. I would just be dead for service. Yeah. yeah, it's so so hard to do that. So I've worked for years, um, uh, almost a decade, really trying to. Um, nail down these super efficient workouts that I could get done in 20 minutes and um, and still be able to like have this whole routine. So look at this, look at exercise as a supplement for the lack of movement, right? And I'm okay with supplements. I take vitamin C, vitamin D, B complex, sometimes selenium. I take iodine. I'm taking all these, you know, magnesium every night before I go to bed. I'm okay with supplements. I love exercise. I love being able to lift heavy things and do and, and, and I love being able to be more flexible and touch my toes and do yoga and what I call man yoga, right? I have this like routine I do, right? I, I love the fact that it helps my back feel better. My knees don't hurt, you know, all those type of things, right? Men's hips are so tight, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my son and I were talking, joking yesterday and he, and I was like, that's a good man hack. And I looked up manhack.com and it was already taken. So I bought ombrehacks.com, right? So that may be... <laughs> Uh, sorry. I can't sorry. with you today, Scott. I can't with you. Ombre hacks. <laughs> Ombrehacks.com. All right. So here's my tip, right? I have to think. Working in the restaurant industry, I lost 40 pounds twice. The first time was age 35. The second time at age 40, right? And what I had to do is I had to create my daily routine that operated around my own natural rhythms, mm -hmm. not a routine that operated around when the shift I was working. Okay. If I went to the hotel and I'm working breakfast, right? I don't eat till two o'clock, right? If I get up five o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to eat till two o'clock in the afternoon. That's the first time that I'm allowed that anything is on the menu for me. That's it. That's my routine. And the next day I got to work a reception at night and I show up, you know, and I show up to work at noon because I'm going to be working till two o'clock in the morning. The first time I'm going to eat anything is two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my eating schedule is, you know, time, time restricted eating. Right. Like just two days ago, I my eating window was two hours and seven minutes. I ate late and worked, worked out and ate late. And then it, my eating window stopped. Boom. And that's when I stopped eating. Right. And so the same thing applies no matter what shift you're working in the restaurant. If you're opening, you know, and, and here's the thing, you got to find what your natural rhythms are. Are you an early bird? You're a night owl. What, what are you? I thrive in dinner restaurants because I'm a night owl, right? Because, but you put me in a breakfast restaurant and I struggle. I got a headache till noon, getting up at five o'clock in the morning so I can do breathing exercises and 20 minute, ex you know, highly functional exercise, you know, workout, you know, um, have a cup of coffee, you know, make my way to work, do the commute, get there. Oh, make sure it's open. All those things. <sighs> drives me crazy, right? I'm, I love working dinner shifts and lunch is okay, right? Right. But I don't do a lot of marketing to build lunch because I really like working dinner, right? Yeah. I, and so, so those are the, what else did I write down here? Natural rhythms, um, right? Those things. And then 
yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Now, uh, you know, you also got to find, you know, other things, right? You know, make sure your hydration is good, right? And when I worked in California, those people in California, they live a healthy life, right? I got to tell you a funny story. I just sidebar, sidebar. There's a guy outside the restaurant in Santa Monica, homeless guy, right, from Kentucky. His name was Bill, right? And I walk, and he would direct traffic. Right? He was just funny. He had a, he, he would like step out on the Colorado Boulevard. He would stop traffic so you could pull out of the alley and all that stuff. He was 24 hours. He was like right there, right? And I was like, I walked down and I was like, hey, Bill, <clears throat> um, and he, he homeless guy, right? And I was like, hey, Bill, I wanna, um, I'm gonna bring out a, a, a sandwich. Is, um, how about a burger? Is that burger and fries? He goes, no, no, I'm, I'm watching my red meat. Um, homeless guy, watching his red meat. It had to be California, right? You know, it's yeah. like, right. And so I brought him out a fried chicken sandwich and he was okay with that, right? But it, yeah. was, <laughs> it was really fun. It's not as funny for you. You should have been laughing. That was a funny joke for me, right? I but, am laughing. I am laughing. I'm like, you should have gotten a veggie burger, but you know, that's he, he was from Kentucky, right? But it was, a, it was an older guy. But but my point being is this, right? My my point is is that getting your diet dialed in. Now, yeah. people who've worked with me know that I'm, you know, I get stressed. I'm for, I'm in the pantry and I'm foraging for nuts. I'm like looking for pistachios um, or cashews or something like that to eat and snack on. And because I, that's how I handle stress. I had this back then I had, um, a stress, you know, stress related eating, you know, and that's how I gained weight, but I had to learn how to make good choices before it was the nuts. When I was 40 pounds overweight, it was chocolate chip cookies, right. Or a dessert or a sandwich or something with high carbs. And I was spiking all my insulin through this high glycemic foods. And I had to learn how to, to how to manage that and how to make good decisions when the choice came up. Right. Yeah. And so that's really the thing. And so if it's, you know, for me, it was a ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting, but it, but it started with intermittent fasting. Keto didn't yeah. come. Keto was not a weight loss thing for me. So it was a cognitive high performance type thing for me because I'd already lost the weight four years prior. Right. So, so those are the things. The first thing you really need to do, to be honest with you, and it's more important than diet and exercise alone is sleep. Right. Yeah. And I'm and I'm I'm just saying this because this book that I wrote it's only 44 pages, right? Seven chapters. Number one is your mindset around sleep. Um, number two is finding out where your sleep time or setting your bedroom up for success, right? Mm -hmm. The noise, um, the smell, the the your bedding, right? Your the colors of your walls, you know, all those things are important. Um, and then finding out what your sleep type is and tapping into your sleep type. If you're an, an early bird. Or as Dr. Um, Michael Bruce calls it, a lion, and normally get your first kill before dawn. Do you need to go work in a coffee shop or a breakfast restaurant? That's it, right? If you're a night owl or what he calls a wolf, like me, you need to go work in a dinner restaurant. Or if you're younger and you want to work in a bar that closes late, go do that, right? And just, you know, if somebody says that you can only be successful by getting up at 4:32 in the morning or 5 a.m. and you read that book and you're a night owl, just just, just disregard it. It doesn't matter. Right. The next thing would be to do the things you need to do to get yourself the best night's sleep and stop. Don't drink alcohol within two to three hours of going to bed. Don't eat food within two hours of going to bed. Don't do intense exercise within an hour of going to bed. Don't watch blue light or look at anything that has blue light within an hour or two of going to bed and stop drinking caffeine six to eight hours before your optimal bedtime. Right. Those are the things you need to do. Then it goes into breathing through your nose by taping your mouth shut. Then there's, um, 
then there's also breathing exercises and journaling and clear your mind and all those type of things that you can do. So those are the seven different chapters that, that are in this book. So sleep is by far most important thing, even more important than diet and exercise combined, especially if you're moving and on your feet for eight of the 10 to 12 hours that you're working a day, right? Yeah. Um, unless you want to just get stronger or you need to like, you know, like for me, if I don't work out, my knees start to hurt, right? And that has to do with, you know, racing go-karts and all those t- those type of things. But uh, what else you got on that, on living a healthy life? And um, well, For sure. Sleep is definitely a big one. Um, and kind of like what we talked about earlier, you know, you have the, you have your beer to relax you and, and that chemical care cycle just really like you said, it's all mental. You've got to get in a good mindset that you want to be healthy. And it's it's so easy to just slip back into those bad habits because you're surrounded by so many of them and so many people that have, um, that have like you know, you say you're a, a night owl. Um, you're a night owl, but you're a responsible night owl. You you come home after work. You, you take care of your body. There's a lot of people that are night owls that go out drinking till bar, till bar close. And, you know, just how it's it's difficult for a line cook you know a younger 22 23 year old line cook to be able to to have that mental fortitude to say no i'm just gonna have water or whatever it would be or just go home and i think that the restaurant industry for just decades and decades has really perpetuated that cycle of you know you know me in that quote from anthony bourdain about how it's the last place for the misfits and i'm like bullshit i hate that quote, I hate it because there's no reason that these people and and myself included shouldn't get the help that that they and we need to be successful humans. You know, just because you are, you know, addiction runs rampant in the industry because it's it's such a easy career to have to go out to the bars and drink. Um, you know, drug use was it's actually on the decline now, but I know in the 80s and 90s it was everywhere. Um, I remember the first kitchen I ever worked in, like I was 15, 16 years old. Um, they had cocaine breaks. Like, and I was, I, I, I was like, what? Oh my God, what? And you know, and I didn't even know what it was. Like, I didn't know, I was so naive. I had no yeah. idea. I didn't figure out why they kept going into the storage closet and coming out all jittery and happy, but obviously I know now. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I was 21 when I realized that being hungover on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was not fun, right? Yeah. And I just just started as a manager, so I, I mean, very early in my career, I was like, I don't drink on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't. I was off on Monday typically, so um, during the summer because it was on a lake at a marina in South Carolina, and so mm-hmm. Sundays were pretty big. And that was blessed, man. I've worked at some really cool restaurants that you didn't really have to do a lot of marketing for, right? And so when I got out, started working in restaurants and hotels or things like that, and they started asking me questions about marketing, I was like, people just show up. I don't know what you, what do you mean, right? You know, and it's like, so I was spoiled in a lot of ways. We got a comment in from Tim. He said, if you're were type 2 diabetic, your keto would have been first, then fasting is either way. That is a tremendously powerful duo to re- reverse type 2 diabetes. Uh, I'm doing this whole hog now and I am starting to see results. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's something I think, uh, you know, without, you know, intervention with, um, you know, you know, for me back at, at age 40 or actually age 30, when, when my, when my dad got cancer, I was probably well on my way to being type two diabetic. I was probably starting down that pathway. 
my, my grandmother was, my dad's mom was. And, um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing, you know, in our industry. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild, you know, when it comes to trying to live in a healthy life in this high stress environment, we get caught up in things. I've been listening to Dr. Joe Dispenza. I mean, he's pretty deep in the woo, right? I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, yeah, you know, but, but what happens is what he says was, um, is that there's a couple things. One, and I just put this in this new uh, book, my, uh, my dear friend Malia Brown and I are writing together. And, um, and he says that we, we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of them are the same thoughts we thought the day before. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing he says is, is that we train the body. Right. And then the body starts demanding these things from us. And I'm paraphrasing a, a little bit, right? So like we're training the body that it needs caffeine at six o'clock in the afternoon, right? We, we train the body that it needs alcohol to calm down and it needs coffee to, you know, uppers and downers, right? We need, you know, like, here's your upper, right? And then we need the downer, right? To do this, right? We, and the body starts depending on these things versus having these natural pieces of it. Since I've done the study to write the book about, um, uh, you know, about, uh, sleep. I don't drink coffee after 12, right? It used to be like, well, I'll have my, I get drink two cups of coffee a day, sometimes three. Now it's like, if I get, you know, busy, like if I, like, you know, like after the live show, right. And I'm busy working on something for the next hour after the show's over or hour and a half. And it's past 12 o'clock. I'm like, where's my second cup of coffee? I'm like, oh, it's past 12. I'm not going to have it. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm just my one today, right? So I cleated. So what happens is I'm practicing what I'm, I'm preaching, you know, in term, terms of that. And uh, so it's um, you have to be independent of what your restaurant schedule is and understand how these things are compounding and snowballing to make you live an unhealthy life. Right. For sure. And I think it's it's hard because of the industry. You know, how do you how do you tell an owner that you're a morning person like as an exec chef? Right. If I were to say to my owner, I can't work at night. I probably wouldn't get hired, you know, so you almost have to just tailor yourself to it so much. And having that balance is really difficult to achieve. I would just say, you know, people that are, are struggling with it, do the best you can. Every decision is an opportunity for a good one and yep. avoid that beer at the end of the night, you know, really try to, to eliminate your caffeine past noon. Like you were saying, you know, there's things that you can do. They're just difficult. And that chemical cycle, that chemical care that we continue to feed our body is because there isn't a lot of info out there, especially for people in their early twenties, just coming out of college or just getting industry in their late teens. There's not a lot of info out there on how to be healthy through this career. You know, this is just starting to emerge with the GM podcast and with the, um, modern longevitarian and the things that I'm doing, you know, I am writing a book just on my experiences in the industry and it's, it's incredibly cathartic. And it's, I've noticed every chapter is a pattern. You know, I am basically making every chapter like a different restaurant I worked at, but it's mm -hmm. like, okay. And then this happens and then this happens. And so there just needs to be more info out there. So what we're doing, what you're doing, what I'm doing and what, you know, thousands of other people are doing is trying to get that information to the people that need it those people on the front lines of the industry. And one thing that I had to learn is um, ask for a break, you know, with, with COVID having the masks, you know, one of the things was like, you get a 10 minute mask break. And I used mine, I would go out in the hallway, and I would just sit down and kind of breathe for a second. 
um, because it was a different level of stress that we had to we had to handle. It was no longer stress of service. It was stress of survival, to be honest. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. As uh, to kind of segue into the next thing is cult is culture. Um, the industry is long overdue for change. It is long overdue for, um, a new normal. And I think that we are on the very, very edge of that starting to happen and starting to, to make headway. Yeah. You know, it's going to be hard to really change the culture of the restaurant industry, right? It's really, you know, you know, there's a couple of things, right? We're working when people are um, eating, right? And so you may have grown up everybody grew up, you know, for the most part, going to school and eating lunch at lunchtime and eating dinner at dinner time and those things. All of a sudden you get in this industry and now all of a sudden you've trained your body to back to tra- your body being trained, right? Your body's trained to eat at a certain time and now you're working during that time. Yeah. And uh, then you have to fight against people like eating, you know, a, a, a over overcooked steak or under, you know, you know, or something like that. Right. And in, in the dish pit, mm-hmm. right. You don't have to, you know, like, hey, wait a minute, this is not what we do. Right. These go in the garbage. We don't eat those. Right. Or eating after a guest, right. That has left food that doesn't want to take it to go, which is like, do you want, really want hepatitis? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I've seen that, you know, and, the, you know, you know, and it's like, and overcoming the, those type of things, right. And as a, as a leader and, and those things are really kind of coaching your team on how to make it through these things. And I think that it takes true leadership, right. Um, you know, for that. And gosh, I've threatened to fire people on the spot for eating after guests. Right. And it's, it's like, I don't even know why you would ever, ever do that. Right. Um, Gosh, Katie, it's been amazing. Yeah, I, I know you probably realized I was going to ask you to come on the show again at some point, right? So we're going to have to pick this up at some other time. We're just over an hour, right? And I know you've got to go and you've got something else that's, you know, um, and I appreciate your time. It's been always. it's been amazing, right? It's been amazing. We always have fun conversations. Yeah. We just, we just dive in, man. No holds barred. I love it. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely be back to, to talk about culture and um just, just how it's how it looks in the industry because a lot of people don't know that servers make two thirteen and um, you know just just the things that we go through. I think it's important because it's like I said, it's long overdue. Yeah, it is right, and and you know we got so many topics we can talk about, right? We can you know we, you know, at least talk about food, right? And and you know today is you know like what I call food um, F three Friday, right? Food Friday. And we ended up talking about food a little bit, but not not so much, right? But uh, it's great having a chef on someone as accomplished as you. I mean, uh, I can't wait to see your book um, that this, you know, and, and that's the first I've heard about that. And I love this format, this live format, right? Because yeah, it's great. Yeah. Because it's not like a recorded podcast where you're like going, Hey, if you don't like this question or don't understand it, I'll, I'll edit it out and post or, you know, editing out ums or those type of things. Right. So it's really, really a cool, cool format for this. And, and I love it. And I think today's show was, was pretty amazing. So, um, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate being here. All right. So I'm going to close it down. You uh, you take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All righty. That was an amazing, amazing conversation with executive chef Katie Horn. I can't wait to see what her book has to say when she comes out and, uh, and how that goes. And I really appreciate her time today. Amazing conversation, right? So we started out talking talking about, you know, women and going up into management and we end up talking about how to live a healthy life, which is modern longevitarian really in, in a high stress environment. And uh, we'll be back on Monday. Um, it's going to be a solo episode and it's going to be, you know, we'll be digging deep into, you know, mindful Monday, 
right? And um, and how to make your Mondays the best, right? Because sometimes as, as a restaurant manager, if you're off on Sunday and Monday, like I've, I've been for a number of years as a GM, you show up on Tuesday, midday, if you're working a dinner shift um, or opening the restaurant that works lunch, and your boss may have been at work um, all the way through Monday and almost a half day on Tuesday, and you're, you're coming in with an email list of to-dos that um, kind of take you off base, right? So there's so many things that, that you can work on and, and mitigate the stress. Um, for me, it's transcendental meditation and, and those type of things. And um, again, if you didn't see about my book that I wrote on sleep, uh, modernlongevitarian.com forward slash sleep, and you can go check that out. Um, and again, thanks to Chef Katie Horn for uh, coming on the show. And I'll put, um, I'll go and, uh, and put in all the places you can find her online, which you, her website is chefkatiehorn.com. And she does amazing, amazing writing. And she's also on LinkedIn. And uh, so some really, really cool things. So if it's your Friday, which it may not be, but if it is, have a great weekend.